This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wright. And I'm your sometimes host, Adam Scalina. How you doing, Corey? Good yourself? I'm doing well. It's great to have you back. It's I'm looking at you and I'm going, Harry Rosen must be having their final cut sale. Because you're... <laughs> You're, you're head to toe in what looks like a brand Brian, new you saying, kid. You're saying I can't buy stuff at full price? No, there? I'm just I'm well, just saying I I'm know glad, you're a deal finder. I'm glad you say that because I can't buy stuff full price. <laughs> I, I go I go for like three weeks every year around Christmas time and I go for all the cheap stuff. Yeah. And I'm sure I just completely drive the sales girl nuts there. That helps me out because she brings me over the full price stuff and I just ignore her. Yeah. I'm like right for the sell rack. Well, here's the thing though. <laughs> it's it's, it's a, the characteristic of a deal finder, right? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that that's who you are. If so. I told you how much I saved on suits, you could imagine the deals we could find in commercial yeah, real estate for Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we've got a fantastic show today. I'm super excited. This is a big get, uh, Huge get. for, Huge for get. our organization of shows, but we've got Doug Porter, chief economist at BMO Financial Group. Super bright guy, super, obviously. Super bright, yeah. Really, really articulate and a ton of takeaways from today. I'll be honest with you. Going into this, I mean, you always have high hopes for an episode. Yes. And Doug delivers and then some, and he offers great insight. And not only does he sort of provide what their thoughts are, but he gives you the context of how they've come up with it. So sure. you really kind of get to see what they kind of go through when they're predicting things. And you mean the real estate market to supply chain issues, to inflation, to interest rates, definitely amazing takeaways from this show that I think every single listener will probably sit back and, and sort of almost listen to maybe this show twice. Cause I can tell you, I'm going to be listening to this episode at least a couple of times, yeah. not just because you're here but because I want to make sure I absorb all the information from Doug. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I agree. Before we get to that though, Corey, how are the markets doing? The commercial markets right now, when we think about where we are in the year right now, obviously it's early in, in Q1. Yep. Inventory seems to still be lagging. Is that is that what you're feeling? Extremely low. And you know, this time of year, as we kind of usually get into February and get to March, you start to see a little bit of inventory come out of the woodwork, but we're suffering from the same thing that you guys are, where there's just, right. there's nothing there. And I think it's just, there's so much pent up demand from buyers because money is still cheap. And Doug talks about this, how the how the Bank of Canada didn't raise rates back on January 26th, which you know was probably a 50-50 split if it was going to happen or not. He provides us with his insight of where he thinks things are going. So you got a lot of people right now that seem to be sitting on the sidelines with money looking to deploy it. And there's not inventory to put it into. So you, you're seeing maybe, you know, maybe good assets sell for great prices, great assets selling for extraordinary prices, and anything that comes on the market that maybe otherwise maybe wouldn't be looked at are getting eyes on it right now. Yeah. So rates in the commercial world right now with the threat of interest rates increasing, yeah. are you seeing that having any shape on buyers right now? I think so. So right now with it, and, and you know Doug kind of lays it out for us of where it's going, 1% interest rate hike on a commercial. And commercial might arguably be at least 1% to maybe 1.5% higher than, say, your typical residential mortgage. If you're good at what you're doing, you might get 35 to 375 right now. 
Well, if I throw a whole basis point on top of that or a hundred basis points on top of that, or now that's, you know, four and a half to four, seven, five, you're talking on a substantial mortgage that could be thousands of dollars a month on a large commercial purchase. So right. that coupled with inflation right now, because obviously money sitting in the bank isn't going up in value, trying to get that money into these producing assets now, well, the threat of interest rates are up there has created this perfect storm for sellers. Even in markets that traditionally maybe you wouldn't see it, like in Nanaimo, for example, which is a great market, and we really, really like that market there, multiple offers going on in commercial real estate. And we're not talking multiple offers on the $500,000 office space. We're talking multiple offers on the $6 million office building. And that just goes to show how scarce the inventory is right now. And so just so I understand, because I mean, people that don't know you, you know, we talk a lot and you are in almost a different town in BC almost every time I get you, like you're (laughs) like you use the province the same way most people use greater Vancouver on, on a (laughs) weekly basis. What's happening? Like just a quick synopsis maybe of what's happening in Victoria right now, Nanaimo, what's going on in those secondary markets? Well, I think there's no secret if you listen to this podcast that we like those secondary markets and primarily because if you look at what the COVID's done, it's sort of ex, it's sort of accelerated. You mean the sales cycle in some of these smaller markets because more and more people are now considering these markets. On top of that, when you look at where cap rates have come down to and where prices have gone in the lower mainland, it becomes very hard to debt service. So if you're buying something with a three or a three and a half cap rate, you might be getting, you know, I mean, maybe a 45 to 65% loan to value ratio, depending on maybe if there's immediate upside on the asset, which is very, very hard. So you're tying up a lot more cash in the short term to get the asset versus if I can go to a secondary market that I'm not, I feel like I'm not paying for my risk. And how we classify that is the vacancy rates aren't three or four times higher in these markets in the certain asset classes. So if I go over to Victoria and can find something maybe where the retail sector is maybe between six and 7% on the vacancy, over here, it's obviously lower than that. But if I can go there and I can find something that I'm getting a higher return on my money in a marketplace that we still think there's a lot of runway to go, both lease rates and capital appreciation, I'll take that deal all day long than maybe a 3.5% cap rate, say in Coquitlam, where maybe the rates maybe are fairly market and maybe stabilizing, where there may not be as much runway for them to grow with it. I'll take those deals all day long. So we obviously, we love Victoria, we love Nanaimo, we love Kamloops, we love Kelowna. It's just a matter of those markets there. They are smaller, so you have to keep bear that in mind when you buy there. But also the vacancy rates are coming down and population is going up. So when we look into these small markets, we really want to focus on development and future development in these markets, because as people continue to come in from a population standpoint, commercial tends to follow because people need places to work. Right. So we look at that, like who's buying in what markets, what developers are buying there, where are they buying? So these are all things we follow very, very closely. And one reason why we're so bullish on various markets on Vancouver Island, but also BC Interior. Fantastic. And and you'll let everyone know when there's a great sale at Harry Rosen as well. So it's, yeah, it's I'll, I'll, t- I'll say after because I, I tend to be the fat guy size. So my stuff is very hard to get because there's probably a lot of guys in the city that probably are in the same weight, the same, at the same waistband. Yeah. Uh, we're all, we're so, all fighting over the same so shirts. I'll, I'll announce the Harry Rosen sales after I've been there because there's probably like two of my sizes in Canada. <laughs> they don't make clothes that big at that store. For me. Oh, boy. Uh, with with enemies like ourselves. This comes from you uh, that you have three buttons on your on your shirt undone and your pecs just blaring me in the yeah, face. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God we don't actually have cameras on this show yet. But Corey, before we get to our conversation with Doug today, a word from our sponsor. 
This week's episode is brought to you by our great friends at Impact Commercial Group. Really enjoy working with Impact Commercial. And uh, we should say Al and his team can basically do anything when it comes to lending. Anything when it comes to under the commercial umbrella. You're building a building and development. We got you covered. You're buying land. We'll make that happen for you. You're investing in a property or multifamily building. Check. Owner-occupiers looking to acquire their own space. Double check. Anything commercial financing you need, Impact Commercial is your go-to. Impactcommercial.ca. And we should say over 50 years of combined experience. So trust these guys. They're the right fit. Best in the business, in my opinion. And without further ado, here's our interview with Doug Porter, Chief Economist, BMO Financial Group. So many good takeaways on this one. Here's Doug. Enjoy, guys. Okay, so we're here with Doug Porter, Chief Economist at BMO Financial Group. How are you doing, Doug? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for taking the time today, Doug. We really appreciate your time. Can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. So I worked for the Bank of Montreal. I'm uh, located in in Toronto at the, at the head office. I've been chief economist with the bank for a little bit more than nine years now, and I've been in the profession since, uh, believe it or not, the early 1980s. I started my career at the Bank of Canada, but I've spent most of my time working on Bay Street, analyzing the the economy, and I head up a team of about uh, 15 people that basically covers the global economy all kinds of different specialists with, within our group. And um, I live in live in Oakville, Ontario, and that's pretty much where I've been for the last two years since the, the pandemic <laughs> began. I, I think I've been in my office seven, seven times since uh, the pandemic started. Right. And your team, presumably everybody's working from home these days? They, they have been. Some have been a little bit more keen to get back into the offices as quick as possible than others. We, ha- we have one economist who works on our trading floor and he's he's been in for most of you know as as much as he can been can be in in recent uh, recent weeks it it seems like we should be going back to the office fairly soon here in Ontario too right right maybe just to kind of open up the conversation Doug in in thinking about the last 18 to 24 months were you surprised by the residential and commercial markets I would say the short answer, if we dial back to the opening days of the pandemic, I don't think anybody could have seen the kind of strength we were looking at. We we did have a very active debate uh, in our department. What would be the heavier influence on on the residential side? You know, would it be the the slash that we saw in interest rates? Would that drive the market higher, or would it be you know a, a hit to the residential market because of the job losses? And you know, of course, the conventional wisdom was that you know we were actually going to have a correction in the residential market and you know we did for about two weeks or so and then of course you know it just went to heights that i don't think anyone could have possibly imagined you know and and part of that is just how long this has dragged on how long we've had interest rates is essentially zero the fact that incomes were so heavily supported by government policy the fact that people really had little else to spend on in in the past couple years all those factors conspired to to lead the uh, the housing market into areas that I don't, I don't think really anybody saw. We we were probably a little bit more optimistic than others, but even, even we didn't see the the extent of it. I would say on the commercial side, I, th- I think overall we have to say things held up better than than expected. Of course, it really depends on which part of the commercial real estate market we're talking about. But overall, I think the the major story is that the sector did fare relatively well, better than I think most anticipated, and it was because again. 
heavy-duty government support, a long period of very low interest rates, and very favorable financial markets overall. All those things help support the uh, the market. So I guess just to, you know, if I had to wrap a bow on it, I'd, I'd say you know overall the real estate market just did much much better than than I think uh, most forecasters would have believed possible. Right, right, and and we want to definitely talk about interest rates later on in the show. But in in kind of thinking about where we are right now, we're kind of hopefully getting through Omicron here. Is Canada economically in a good place at the moment? Well, it, you know, it depends which sector we look at. It, you know, of course, many people spoke about a K-shaped recovery when the recovery first began, and I think it applied best to a sectoral basis. So in other words, some sectors, you know, bounce back almost immediately and are actually doing relatively well, and real estate is certainly one of them, whereas other sectors have been struggling for, for two years and, you know, to this day are still struggling to survive, whether it's the hospitality sector or arts and entertainment or recreation. So it really depends which sector. But, you know, overall, when we look ahead, Canada's got a few feathers in its cap. As a big resource producer, we're, we're actually, you know, looking good in the year ahead, given the uh, the persistent strength we're seeing in all kinds of different resource prices. Our government finances, while they took a heavy hit, I would still compare them relatively favorably to most other major economies. Even on the inflation front, while we've had a big upswing in inflation, Canada's inflation rate is actually a bit below that of Europe, let alone the U.S. So even on that front, we're faring relatively well. We've certainly got our fair share of challenges. But I think, you know, as as restrictions fade, presumably as the pandemic fades, I think at least over the next year or two, we're probably looking at a couple of years of still above average growth. And a lot of that is just making up for the lost ground of uh, of, of 2020. You know, we're still filling in the hole that the pandemic dug for us. So I think at least over the uh, the next couple of years, we're you know we're still looking at relatively firm activity overall and a, and a fairly solid recovery when we if and when we put the uh, pandemic behind us. Doug, the two big big elephants in the room, I think, are you know inflation and interest rates here. And you sort of just briefly touched on inflation there, and maybe how Canada's sort of been maybe a little bit better than America or even even Europe for that matter. Where do you guys see inflation going? I know there's a million stories running rampant out there, depending on what you read. But what is your take on inflation now, and and sort of how long does this sort of above average inflation growth you know take place, or how 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 far do you guys foresee this taking place before maybe it starts to curb itself? Yeah, and of course that's the uh, absolutely the overwhelming question right now for for financial markets, for policymakers. So just as a bit of background, you know, to, to put it in perspective, the latest inflation number in Canada is just a little less than five percent. We we haven't seen that since since 1991, the year the GST went into effect, and in the states they're looking at the highest inflation numbers since the early 1980s. So you know, many people working in financial markets, even policymakers, have never really experienced real inflation before. Good point. And we were on the high end. We were at the one end of the spectrum last year, basically pounding the table saying, look, this is this is potentially more of an issue than markets and policymakers are giving it credit for. You know, it's it's not going to be completely transitory. It's more than just reopening. But even we were surprised by how high inflation rose in, in the past year. And I, I continue to be concerned that it's it's going to stick with us for longer than is going to be comfortable. Yeah. Here, um, but even we think it's going to moderate in the next six to twelve months. But we we've been assuming that oil prices will stabilize, and we've been assuming that the supply chain issues will gradually improve. Neither one of those two is a given. Yeah. At least not this year. You know, as as we speak, oil prices are still going to higher highs. You know, they're they're reaching their highest level since 2014 at above ninety dollars 
the supply chain issues look like they're going to linger through this year. They might get better. They're, you know, they look as if they're going to improve, but I still think they're going to be a factor. So we can't take it for granted that inflation is going to roll over here. And at the very least, we're expecting inflation to stay above its pre-pandemic level, even when we go to 2023, even when the supply chain issues have largely righted themselves, even if energy prices stabilize, we still think inflation is going to be more in the two and a half to three and a half percent range when things settle load. Whereas before the pandemic, in both Canada and the U.S., it was averaging less than two percent. And I, I have to say, I, I think that's an optimistic call. I think the risks still are that this this proves to be much much stickier. Now, having said all that, there is a case to be made that things could recede very very quickly. Some of the strength in oil prices probably is related to jitters around what's going on in Ukraine. Yeah, you know, if if that situation calms or backs down, you know, oil prices could could peel off pretty quickly. And if the supply chain issues do get worked out, you could see the price of some goods come down really fast in the next year. So there is a case to be made that inflation could surprise on the low side, but I I think the risks are more to the high side of what consensus and policymakers believe. And for our listeners there, with inflation there, you touch based on supply chains and, and energy prices and stuff like that. Are those the two main factors that you guys are really considering when you're looking at the inflation and what you think could like teeter it either way? I think those are the two big reasons why forecasters have been dead wrong over the last 12 months. But when we look ahead, the things that I'm watching closely is what happens to wages now. You know, up, up to this point, wages have started to stir a little. They're definitely stirring in the U.S., not so much in Canada. They are starting to pick up a, a little bit, but they're still running well below inflation, and they they really haven't, you know, added to the mix yet. I think there is a real chance that we're going to see much more serious wage pressures over the next year, which could make this inflation episode last a little longer. Yep. And the other issue that may be nearer and dearer to to your hearts is I, I would assert that the strength that we've seen in home prices in both Canada and the U.S. over the past year has really only just begun to show up in the inflation rate. Yeah. You know, every country handles home prices a little bit differently in how they measure inflation. But the one common feature is it takes time for run-up in home prices to fully work its way into the consumer price basket. That's especially the case in the U.S., by the way. But it's even true a little bit in Canada. And, you know, we've had, a, depending on your city, we've had a 25 30% increase in home prices in the, in the last year. That's really only just now showing up in the CPI. So I still think there's a bit of a, a sting in the tail from home prices for the the consumer price basket in the year ahead. Over this time period, we were obviously, you know, pre-pandemic, we were, you mean, the world was connected in so many different ways. And I think how quickly, how quickly COVID spread, we really found that out, how how it was traveling throughout the world as quickly. Do you think this pandemic from an economic standpoint is going to force countries to be more self-sufficient and less sufficient on other countries' goods and supply chains? There's, there's been a lot of talk about that. I heard quite a bit of that uh, theory early in the pandemic. I'm hearing a little less of it now, although, you know, given the, uh, you know, the, the variety of supply chain issues we've seen in the last 12 months or so, I, I, it's starting to heat back up again. I'm skeptical that we're going to see a sea change on, on that front in the years ahead. I think perhaps there'll be a little bit more redundancy built up in the systems in years ahead, but that's expensive. And, you know, of course, companies always, you know, like, like to control costs as, as rigidly as, as they can. And it is expensive to build in redundancies. The other, the other thing is I think, I think firms will want to hold on to more inventories, whether it's finished goods or intermediate products or raw materials. I think there, 
you know, to, to basically guard against these kind of disruptions in the future, they might be willing to hold on to a bit more in, in terms of stocks in the, in the years ahead as well. But again, that, that costs money. That, uh, that can be expensive. Great point. The one area where I do see countries trying to be a bit more self-sufficient over a, lot, a lasting period is, you know, on medical supply and equipment. I, you know, I do believe all, many of us, including we here in Canada, learned a harsh lesson on, on that front. You know, whether it was masks originally, you know, or, or eventually vaccines, I think we, we've all learned the importance of being self-sufficient. On, uh, on that front, even even if it's direct government procurement, I, I think you're going to see one area where that that does become a lasting legacy of of the pandemic. That uh, company countries are just not willing to rely on others for for uh, critical medical material. Obviously, we've watched the news lately, and we've seen the protests from the the trucker industry and stuff like that. And obviously, with them kind of going back and forth, a lot of product coming from the states coming by truck. Do you think this is going to create a, a big ripple in the supply chain issue that we're already dealing with right now with the new imposed regulations of them coming to and from across the border and obviously getting product to Canada? So I'm going to try to be apolitical here. Um, but, but, it, but, I, but I have to say, even before you know the very intense protests in Ottawa, I, I really did wonder about the timing of that policy, given you know how obviously fragile the supply chain was and, and how much pressure we're seeing on food prices here in Canada and, well, globally too. And the fact, of course, that we import so much of our uh, fresh produce, not surprisingly, in, uh, in in the winter, I really did question that 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 decision. I, I don't want to overplay it. I, I think it'll be more of an irritant rather than something that, that completely tips over the supply chain at this, this point. But, you know, any anything... That just adds to the inflationary pressures we're seeing, especially on food. Yeah, you know it's really unfortunate at, at this time. I, I, I frankly don't think it'll make a huge difference, but I think it'll just aggravate an already fraught situation and just you know reinforce the fact that we're going to be dealing with you know with shortages in some goods and uh, and real real price pressures almost across the board for uh, for some time yet. Yeah, great point. So, Doug, in, in thinking about, I guess it was early last week now that the Bank of Canada held the held the rate. In terms of interest rates, it seems like they're in all indications point to that we're going to see some rate increases this spring. What are your thoughts on the interest rate and um, where do you think it goes this year? So I'm, I'm going to start with the U.S., the, the central bank there. We, we've just recently heard that U.S. employment actually did very well in January, even with Omicron, even with all you know the reports we were reading about you know, people having to stay off the job because of illness and, you know, all the different issues they were having. You know, the reality is the U.S. economy still produced almost half a million jobs in both December and January in the middle of Omicron. And so, you know, if, if things that were supposedly set to hold the economy back cannot hold the economy back, and, you know, we've got oil prices marching steadily higher and wages starting to rise by more than 5% in the U.S., absolutely the Federal Reserve has got to start moving on interest rates as soon as they possibly can. And their next meeting is in the middle of March. I fully expect them to raise rates by a quarter at that point. There, in fact, is an active debate in financial markets right now whether they might start with a half a percentage point increase. I don't rule it out. I still think that's not likely. But if inflation does not start to calm by the spring, I think we could be looking at a very aggressive set of rate increases out of the Federal Reserve this year. At this point, we're expecting one and a quarter percent increases from both the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve this year. We think they'll do it in five different steps, so five quarter-point increases. There's a possibility they'll do more. You know, that at some of those meetings, one or t- 
both of the central banks actually raised rates by a half a percentage point. Actually, just earlier this week, the Bank of England uh, started the, the hit parade, uh, hiking their rate by uh, by a quarter percent. They'd actually nudged it a little bit higher late last year, but this was the full quarter point move we've seen from any G7 bank. And what was the real kicker there is almost half of the members on that committee voted for a half a point increase instead of the quarter point increase. I think if they had gone by half a point, that would have sent shockwaves through global financial markets because it would have really set the stage for other central banks to, to raise rates very quickly. But I guess the main message I would want to leave you with is, you know, there's no guarantees in life, but I think it's all but guaranteed that the central banks in both Canada and U.S. will be raising rates in March and that they're likely to be relatively speedy with their moves. We, we think the bank could raise rates starting in March in four straight meetings and then take a little bit of a pause before they raise rates again in, in the fall and like the five interest rate increases this year for a total of 125 base points. So in thinking about the rate increases, especially if the bank is aggressive, what impact will that have, do you think, on the residential and commercial markets? And I think this is one of the strongest arguments to push back that the the bank or the Fed would be extra aggressive. They know, especially here in Canada, they know how fragile or how indebted the the household sector is and how, you know, let's face it, every basis point matters to somebody. You know, I'm often asked, well, how much of a, you know, rate hike will it take to to really, you know, slow the housing market? The, the reality is somebody out there is riding, running right on the edge, and, and a one basis point move is, is going to matter, let alone 100 basis points. But my rough rule of thumb is for it to meaningfully slow the housing market, it would take about 100 basis points of increases. So that's why I think the bank does go in in four fairly consecutive rapid steps, breaking rates by 100 basis points, and then they they stand back and judge for a little while to see what kind of effect it is having on sentiment and, and the economy. But, you know, I have to say the Bank of Canada is, is not going to stop raising rates just, just because the housing market might, you know, might uh, feel, feel a bit of pain. Right. You know, just, just, just as they didn't raise interest rates, you know, in the last couple of years just because the housing market was on fire. Like, you know, the housing market cannot dictate alone overall policy. So I guess I, I think that should act as a, l- a little bit of a warning to the sector in, in general, that even if it does feel some pain, if the economy as a whole, you know, still needs higher interest rates, the, the, the bank would, would just keep pressing ahead if need be. Maybe changing gears a little bit here, Doug, you know, in thinking about kind of coming out on the other side of Omicron here, what are your thoughts on the return to office and any predictions on how, how we'll go back to work in Canada? And then on top of that, as a second question, how do you think the the downtown cores, which have been in, in many cases beat up over COVID, will return when we get back to some form of normalcy here? So the conventional wisdom, which I don't disagree with, is that we're headed to some sort of a hybrid. And I think there's a lot of you know a lot of debate over exactly what that hybrid is. You know, does it does it mean people be in the office one day a week or four days a week? I suspect it'll be somewhere in the uh, closer towards the in four days a week end of end of the spectrum. Uh, I, you know, I, I think actually my, my own situation and my, my own uh, department is actually probably pretty representative of a fairly typical group in, uh, in downtown Toronto or almost any major other, other major city in, in Canada. I, I suspect that uh, you know, when, when the pandemic has faded, mo- most of us will be in the office most of the time. You know, of course, there are some 
folks who really enjoy not being in the office, working from home. And I, th- and I, and I think for the most part, employers will, will tolerate a, a bit more working from home than they might have before the pandemic. I think overall, you know, a lot, a lot of companies are looking at at least modestly reducing their footprint. And, and I don't think the chapter is finished on, on that by any means. You know, I think only when the pandemic is finished will we really know the full extent. Just as a rough guess, I, I think companies will be looking at reducing their footprint, many companies, that is not all, by about 10 to 15% or so. Now, of course, the thing I would quickly point to is, of course, you know, in a number of cities before the pandemic, we were dealing with one of the tightest office markets I've ever seen. You know, in places like Toronto, Montreal, and uh, and Vancouver, we had extremely tight markets. So in, in a way, what this has done is offered a, a longer-term massive relief valve to, to some extent. I think, you know, and elsewhere, we could be seeing some repurposing of, you know, in, in cities like, I'm thinking of Calgary, uh, where we've got a lot of extra office space, we could see some repurposing of those uh, those, those spaces uh, down, down the line. Is there an asset, a commercial asset class that you see kind of outperforming with the recovery? You know, I, I, I personally believe that the downtown cores will, will eventually revive and thrive. In, in the future, I, I don't, uh, you know, it's human history is, has always been towards greater concentration, you know, where the, where the big cities just, you know, keep thriving and the, the city center in particular keeps driving the, the ship. And, and I, I think that will reemerge after the pandemic. So I still think the, you know, the grade A sites in the biggest cities in the downtown core will, will ultimately completely recover from, uh, from this. It could take a while, but I, I, I still like them. Um, when we branch out, uh, uh, you know, outside of the office space, there, there, there's no question that, you know, I talked to you earlier about the K-shape recovery. There's no question that we've had just a completely bifurcated market in, in commercial real estate. You know, you, you mm-hmm. of course, had multi, multi-family uh, plexes do extremely well. You've had the industrial sector absolutely thrive, and you've had retail and office struggle big time. Of course, retail was struggling even before the, the pandemic. That's nothing new. It's still going to be challenged on on the other side of that. I think it's the other side of this. I think that's fair to say. Maybe as a final question, Doug, thinking about the residential markets, maybe a, a forecasting question. What are your thoughts? What does the rest of 2022 look like for the for the housing market? So, you know, we we have to remember where we're starting from. You know, we're starting from one of the most extremely imbalanced markets that almost any of us have ever ever seen before. There is just and and this goes uh, this applies almost across the country, where we've got this stri- extreme imbalance between buyers and and sellers. You know, we we've got to actually see a cooling off in the market before we even talk about a stabilization, or you know, let alone a correction. You know, I know I know that some are already talking about the possibility of you know ten or twenty percent correction. You know, in a number of cities in January, we were looking at thirty percent price increases still. You know, before we before we stop going backwards, we've got to or start going backwards. We've got to stop sprinting. So our view is that things will simmer down this year. Yeah, I could I could see some markets uh, actually having a small correction by by the end of the year. Again, a lot of this depends on exactly how far the bank can raises interest rates. And there, I'm thinking some of the more vulnerable markets are the ones that had the most spectacular gains in the last year or so. So my my old hometown of London, Ontario, uh, just to pick one example, it's it's seen its housing prices double in the last three years. City of five hundred thousand people has seen home prices double in the space of three years. 
London is not commutable to Toronto. It's 200 kilometers away. I think, you know, cities like that, that have just seen these outrageously large gains are susceptible to a, to a reversal or a partial reversal. But for the big cities like Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, I think they all, they will hang on to their gains. I don't, I, you know, we're not going to see another year of 20 or 30% increases, but I wouldn't be brave enough to call a complete correction in those markets either. I think they will, I, I believe that the more likely outcome is they will calm. In some cases, yes, maybe at the very high end, you might see a bit of a dip in prices. But I, you know, I, I think what's more likely is, is basically a, more of a calming before we can seriously start talking about a correction in, in, in those markets. Leaving on a note with respect to the commercial markets, maybe more BC focused for a second, we've seen a, a lot of value increase, whether it be residential or commercial, in sort of secondary and tertiary markets out here like Victoria, Nanaimo, Kelowna, and Kamloops with kind of the, you know, with the COVID situation and people sort of relocating, do you guys sort of continue, or do you guys foresee that trend kind of continuing where maybe some of these smaller towns are continuing to grow in population after COVID? Or do you think this is something where as we start returning to normalcy that we all become creatures of habits and go back kind of to what we know and maybe those places don't see the population increase that they've sort of seen over the past 18 to 24 months? I would largely tend towards the the latter view, but the the one caveat there though is you know now now that uh, you know a lot of folks have a, have a taste of of living in in smaller cities like you know pick a Kelowna or or a Victoria or or London Ontario you know and we do have a wave of baby boomers who are about to start retiring or have started to retire who will be looking at somewhat more affordable options than a Vancouver or Toronto you know there is the possibility that uh, you know some of the population flow we've seen in the last couple of years could have a life of its own and, uh, you know, build some momentum. You know, what I, I have to say, one of, one of the biggest issues about retirees moving to place, you know, smaller cities is, you know, access to healthcare. You know, is, you know, are there enough doctors? Is there enough, you know, basically, is there enough healthcare infrastructure to handle it? And, you know, if, if those kind of needs can be met, then, it, it is possible that some of the strength that we've seen in the, the, the smaller and medium-sized markets actually does does continue over uh, over the medium term, which would be, of course be great for uh, you know for the commercial sector as well. The only comeback I would say, just to finish off on, is I would say you know almost every asset you can think of has been supported heavily by both government support and the exceptionally easy monetary policy we've seen globally in the last couple of years. Yeah. And every asset class, every asset class is at least somewhat susceptible to a serious tightening of monetary policy over the uh, the next uh, the next couple of years or so. So that's that's just the one warning I would would put out there more generally for uh, for the space. Your job, you're obviously trying to forecast how the economy operates or for one of the largest financial institutions probably in the world. I've got a two-part question here before we get to our six-pack here. Do the Leafs win the Cup this year? And do the Canucks make the playoffs ever between now and 2040? 2040? Oh, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll take that one. Take on, those you, know, you, know the, yeah, you know the Canucks will have a good team at, uh, at some point. By the way, I was a bit of a Canucks fan there for a while. Oh, well, welcome aboard. <laughs> um, not, not now. <laughs> yeah. Neither are we. Don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. We're, we're more fair-weathered than anyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, even even if I believe the Leafs are the best team in the league, and I don't, and and I am a big Leafs fan by by the way, there is a lot of luck involved. Everything has to go right for for you to win a 
win a Stanley Cup. And suffice to say, almost nothing has ever gone right for the Leafs in the playoffs <laughs> in recent years. So I would, I don't think I would, I wouldn't put a dime on them. I I think they're a very good team. I just don't believe they're you know in the top three or four. Yeah, well, at least you guys are in the playoffs. We don't even know what that's like over here. Our guys are <laughs> golfing by April. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, we we do have this segment called the six pack. It's the six lighthearted questions that we that we end the show. Do you have time to stick around for that? Yeah, absolutely. So our six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. For all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca. All right, Doug. First question up: favorite movie all time? Sure. Oh, I'm going to say Lawrence of Arabia. Just oh, just for the look one. of it, it's. Yeah, that's a that's it's good. We always get really kind of contemporary movies, so it's good to have something a little older and and legendary. I'll, I'll give you two contemporary sure. movies that I that I love, and and it's interesting. There's one symmetry between them. Both of them were the runners ups for Best Picture of the Year, and and they're two movies I can watch like every single time I'm on a, I'm on an airplane. La La Land, and and I know you know not many guys liked it. I did, <laughs> and. Uh, and the social network, which I just think oh. is brilliantly written. That's a great I, movie. I, I can I can watch it many times. I've got a I've got to watch La La Land. I feel like that's been on on the radar for years, and so that's a, that's a good recommendation for sure. What about favorite band or song? Well, you know, I'm an I'm an old school rocker. I uh, I, I you know I love the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. But if if I had to pick one group, I'd probably say Led Zeppelin. And 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 I was a huge Queen fan too as a kid, but I'll go Led Zeppelin. And yeah, it's, it's a toss up between Bohemian Rhapsody and Stairway to Heaven, but I got to go with Stairway to Heaven. Great wow. choice. Yeah. Great choice. Favorite bar or restaurant. And we'll do the Toronto version. Yeah, this is the Toronto version. So anything, anything in the, in the downtown TO area. There. But if, if you visit Vancouver and there is a spot that you remember, uh, we'd love to hear it as well. You know, I can't, I can't remember the name of the restaurant that I love in Vancouver. I was only there once. Um, it was a great fish place on, uh, on Robson, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of it now. And you know what? It, it's been two years since I've, you know, been in many restaurants, so I'm actually struggling. Um, so we can so change my that to your rest- favorite DoorDash option. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a Greek restaurant right around the corner for me. Um, so my favorite restaurant actually closed in the pandemic, permanently shut its doors. It was oh, wow. uh, Jonathan's in Oakville. It was a great uh, bar, souffle, fine dining place, and they just shut their doors. It's a real, real tragedy. One of the two best restaurants in uh, in my town of Oakville. Here. A book you would recommend to our listeners, and it can be about anything you want. Mm. So, needless to say, I've been reading a ton during the, uh, the the pandemic, and I've been, you know, trying to trying to spice it up, fiction, nonfiction. Uh, I read both the biographies of Ben Franklin and Leonardo da Vinci. I, I would actually recommend both of them. They were they were two amazing people. And it's uh, it's it's actually pretty inspiring to uh, you know to read just how well rounded both those individuals were and like their their genius. Both are by Walter Isaacson. I'd recommend it. I um, mean, for for a business book, I'm actually reading one right now called The Lords of Easy Money. I wouldn't say it's a it's it's just out. I wouldn't say it's a, a great book, but it's a, it's a deep dive into you know how the Fed got into quantitative easing and some of the risks that it uh, it's raised for. Uh, for the financial markets and the global economy. Interesting. Corey and I are both jotting those down right now for uh, Audible here. And two more quick questions. One is, what is one piece of advice that you would give your 18-year-old self, Doug? <laughs> Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> no. Uh, I, w- I, w- I would say, 
spend more of your money in your 30s um, and enjoy it while you can. Um, and uh, be a little bit more, you know, take a few more risks when, uh, when, when you're young in terms of in- investing. And definitely, uh, you know, whether it's real estate or equity markets, they do tend to do very well over, over time. And, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to gamble a bit more when, uh, when you're young in, uh, you know, in terms of going, going along in, uh, either equities or real estate for the long haul, but, you know, be patient and get ready to ride through some big waves. Final question for you, Doug here, something that you've bought for under $1,500 recently that has changed your life in a positive way. So I, I, I don't do any of my shopping. I'm trying to think. <laughs> if your wife is there, we can get her on. Has, has anything been positive in the last couple yeah. of years? <laughs> for me, it's my Peloton because it keeps me, uh, it keeps me going if that's an idea. Keeps for you yeah. fitting in your clothes. So I've got a, a headset that I use. Boy, this is boring. But it's, uh, you know, I've, I've heard the, the microphone and you know, the audio on it are, are, are great. And it, and it has helped a bit with, uh, with this kind of thing. Sounds nice. good to me. That's a good one. Well, well, maybe we'll leave it there. But Doug, how can people find out more about what you're up to? And of course, they want to follow any reports or anything published by BMO Financial Group. Where should they go? So most of what we produce is on our website, BMO Economics, easy to, easy to find. It's as I said, but the lion's share of what we produce is open to the public. You don't need uh, you don't need a password to get onto our economics website, and uh, yeah, you can uh, get most. Of, we we put out daily, stuff daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, um, and I'd like to think it's the best on the street. So your listeners are more than welcome to uh, to peruse our site. Excellent. Well, hey, thanks so much again, uh, Doug, for taking the time. That was a fascinating conversation. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Thanks for having me. And there you have it, folks, our interview with Doug Porter, Chief Economist, BMO Financial Group. Amazing. Yeah, fantastic conversation with Doug. Always enjoy having a Chief Economist of Financial Institutions on the program because it's always such a thorough analysis. And Doug obviously didn't disappoint. So many amazing takeaways from that conversation. The other thing that, you know, blows my mind is how a guy can be so articulate. And then you ask him the six pack. And he's dialed there too. He's, he's got no. his life figured we, we, out. <laughs> there, there, there's a reason why he's head of an economist department of yeah. the major financial institutions in the world. And me and you are sitting here in a room with no windows doing yeah, a podcast. With an actual six pack. But it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, maybe no surprise. But uh, really enjoyed having Doug on the program. Before we cut for the week, Corey, we should probably say we've got some amazing guests lined up amazing guests lined up for this and we're early in the year so this is super exciting and again we want to thank everybody for reaching out we've had a lot of feedback about the program about the commercial world it sounds like there's a lot of seasoned investors and people that are in the commercial world that are listening but it also we've had a lot of people that are just getting into commercial real estate reach out and saying that they're learning a lot which is huge if i can share a quick story and this is this is exactly why we started the podcast is we had a listener, they've reached out and they've sort of told us their listener and they've got some commercial real estate experience, but they're kind of at, at, at a point in their life where they have a residential property. I think they're expanding their family and they also have a great commercial asset. The, the listener reaches out and asks if we could, we could chat a bit. So we end up talking for, I think, for 45 or 50 minutes all about what is the next move. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this is exactly why we started the show, where if right. we can help 
individuals, A, get introduced to commercial real estate because there's the myth of it's so hard to get into, but also B, if we're there to answer questions for what it's worth, we're happy to do so. And I think the conclusion of the conversation was the individual is going to expand his commercial portfolio. Right. And this came on the heels of the show we had where we had Alan on talking about how you can throw gas on your portfolio to grow it. That's right. the exact reason why this whole show was started. And that individual, I think, is going to double the real estate portfolio this year. Which is phenomenal. And I, it's funny because Matt and I, you know, we've known you for years, but the kind of the origin story of this is like, we're new to, yeah. to commercial real estate and learning it is so fun to do it in this format, right? We're yeah. kind of, we're playing the um, unsophisticated question asker who, who's just genuinely interested in commercial real estate. And it's been exciting to kind of learn it as, as we go. But I do feel like once you do start getting into the potential in commercial real estate, a lot of, you know, residential is still a fantastic investment, yep. but you know, you just start to see opportunities that were never readily available to you before. Right. Yeah. So. And that's what I think people, people don't really realize it. And, and I think there's a couple of things out there. People think maybe from an investment standpoint or a mom and pop investment standpoint, I was like, I can't afford it. How does it work? Don't guys in suits in New York City own that? Right. And they just don't realize how readily available commercial real estate is to people, both from an investment standpoint or even starting a business from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Yep. And the whole, the whole reason or one of the motivating factors of this podcast was to try to open up those doors, introduce guests who can you know, be helpful to people and stuff like that. So I think it's based on the feedback that we've received and some of the guests have received as well. It seems like it's really resonating with people and we're, we're maybe hopefully opening up doors that maybe otherwise people thought that weren't available to them. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. But before we cut for the day, how can people find out more about what you're doing over at William Wright Commercial? They can always reach out to me by email, Corey at WilliamWright.ca. We're always happy to talk to them about real estate. You can reach us at our Vancouver office at 604-428-5255. Let us know what your commercial real estate needs are. And we're happy to put you in touch with any of our professionals throughout the province, or they can visit our website, WilliamWright.ca, and they can sign up for the latest and greatest news. And you guys are servicing just just for people right now. Yeah. You're servicing Victoria, Kelowna. What other markets are you in? So we've got three lower mainland offices in Vancouver, Langley, and New West to service the full lower mainland. Uh, we have our Kelowna office, which does all of the Kelowna and the surrounding areas, as well as Kamloops right now. We have our Kamloops office that opens, fingers crossed, it'll open in middle to late 2022. The building, obviously, we've purchased in is, is experiencing construction delays like everybody else's. Right. So right now we're servicing that market through Kelowna, as well as we have Victoria there that serves the greater Victoria area, as well as Nanaimo right now. And then we're looking forward to getting a Nanaimo office open either later this year or early 2023 in a project we've acquired over there as well. So we're really excited to be able to service everything. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, have a great week, guys. And we're back next week with some great commercial content. Great. Thanks for listening, guys. Subscribe today. 